Hello and welcome to episode 34 of the Ideal Nutrition Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Aidan Muir, and I'm here with my co-host, Leah Heigl. And today we're going to be talking about beta-alanine. And this is a supplement that I don't give to a lot of my athletes. I give to some of my athletes. Like anyone's doing kind of like intense style training, there is some benefits you can get from it. But I guess there's a lot to think about. So I suppose we'll just get into it. Um, what is beta-alanine? probably a good place to start. So beta alanine is an amino acid. Um, It's not used in the production of protein. Um, It's naturally produced by the liver. So it is naturally produced in the body, but you obviously can supplement it as well. Um, The benefits of beta alanine supplementation don't directly come from the beta alanine itself or directly, um, but comes from the increase in muscle carnosine that occurs when you are supplementing with, with beta alanine. So when beta-alanine is consumed, it is converted into carnosine by joining with histidine. So that's the point of actually supplementing with it. So the main function of interest for carnosine is that it helps to maintain the acid-base equilibrium. So it helps prevent pH from dropping by buffering the hydrogen ions. Um, That sounds very sciencey, very like chemistry. Um, A simpler way to explain it is that it basically helps prevent that feeling of lactic acid buildup. Um, And I do kind of, for anyone listening and not watching, that's kind of in quotation marks because something Aiden and I were talking about previously is that um, that whole lactic acid thing, probably not the the, uh, appropriate terminology, but that's what a lot of people refer to that actual like burning feeling as. So that's what... uh, supplementing with beta alanine and improving your muscle carnosine does help with. So you're able to basically train at higher intensities for longer. Um, And that's the point of supplementing. It does also aid in vasodilation just a little bit as well. Um, It is mostly beneficial when you are training near capacity. So something like powerlifting, (laughs) a lot of the time probably not going to benefit a lot from beta alanine supplementation because you're usually like in the pocket with something like that um but something like crossfit where you're like balls to the wall each session could really benefit from this kind of supplementation so it does seem to be most effective for exercise that is in the range of that 60 to 240 second time frame um but realistically anything lasting for one to ten minutes is really where this supplement does shine and where you're really working towards the near end of that kind of capacity yeah, and, like, I suppose with, like, powerlifting, like, I don't know, like, maybe if you do some accessory work that's, like, 15 reps or more, it could help in those sets. Yeah, like, like, high rep hypertrophy yeah. to failure kind of thing. Yeah, and, like, that's the key. You actually have to take it pretty – you've got to take it to failure because, like, that's where bad alanine shines when it's, like, when you're getting near to failure. Yeah. Um, when you're feeling that, quote-unquote, lactic acid buildup, like, feeling that burn and everything like that. And that's a bit of a, like – bit of a test to see if beta alanine is going to help you with whatever your sport or exercise or whatever is if you don't ever feel that burn like if you never really push to that point it's not going to help like it's only like when you're really really feeling that but like there's a lot of like race conditions like if you do like 800 meter running and stuff like that mm. like it's going to help a lot for that type of activity um so crossfit's where i really say it shine like i i just remember like watching events and being like seeing how close some of them can be. And it's like, well, if one person's not taking bad alanine, like, one person is. That, that's what pushes it over the line. Um, so another thing that could be obvious if you think about it enough, if the goal is to increase muscle carnosine, why don't we just supplement 
why don't we just supplement carnosine? And and the, the reason we can't do that really or why it's not popular to do that is because it seems to mostly be metabolized before it actually gets to the muscles and gets stored and everything like that if we supplement that. Maybe there's ways around it. Like there's people who play around with like injections and stuff like that. But I just think average person doesn't have access to that. So like that's, that's why we don't just get a carnosine supplement from the store, okay? And the other thing is that carnosine is made up of histidine and beta alanine. Why don't we supplement histidine? It's because typically there is already enough histidine in the muscles. The beta alanine is the rate limiting kind of factor in this production of carnosine. So that's why we go down that route. I'm not going to say that there is no application of carnosine supplementation or histidine supplementation. It's just that that's why beta alanine's gained popularity because it seems to translate most or it seems to be the most effective way of raising muscle carnosine in terms of how much it helps dosages of say four to six grams of beta alanine per day have been shown to increase muscle carnosine by up to 64 percent over four weeks and after 10 weeks at those types of dosages we're looking at about 80 percent so that's a pretty massive increase in carnosine I, I've seen other studies showing like a 200% increase and stuff like that. So it's like, this is like a, there's huge potential to increase carnosine. And Was that at higher doses than, than that? Higher dosages or, or longer and stuff like that. They're supposed yeah. to go for like six months. Yeah, right. Um, there's, there was a study that I also was reading today that showed 12 grams of beta alanine for two weeks, increased carnosine as much as, or 12 grams per day for two weeks, increased as much as six grams per day for four weeks. Which is really interesting because we wouldn't see that with many supplements, like that literally doubling the dose doubled how much carnosine increased, even though it was half the duration. Um, so that's something to think about, and I'm going to touch on that more later. Um, but yeah, for what we're talking about with that, like I suppose like 8 to 20 rep range, depending on how slow your reps are and stuff like that, if it gets above 60 seconds, you'd be looking at getting an additional one or two reps, basically. Um in terms of like those race condition kind of things, a meta-analysis on the topic found that the average improvement in studies that have been done on bad alanine so far is 2.8% in terms of time. That's a lot for a supplement. Like it doesn't sound impressive when you put it like that. Yeah, we're talking, both you're talking like high level athletes that really are quite close together. It's, it could make the difference. Yeah. And if you're doing a race condition sport, like anyone wants like 3% off their time. And there's other factors to consider with this. Like I, I think bad alanine is often underdosed in studies. It's not done for long enough. That you could potentially get more. And then another interesting thing, and this is criticized in the sports nutrition world, but time to exhaustion style studies typically show even more improvement. So with bad alanine, typically they're showing greater than 10% improvement in performance. And I have I couldn't find it when I was prepping for this podcast, but I recall seeing studies that had like a 50% improvement in performance in time to exhaustion. But how relevant is that for race condition type stuff? It's not really relevant. We care about race condition studies. We don't really care about time to exhaustion. But as I said, I kind of feel like beta alanine's been underdosed or not taken full advantage of, and it's showing this kind of like 3% improvement in performance in terms of race condition. So that's kind of cool as well. Yeah, so potentially pretty huge benefit when we're talking just supplement. Um, so how to take it? So you touched a little bit on dosages. So the typical dosage is four to six grams taken daily. Um, but usually you would mostly split this over multiple doses across the day to 
prevent the the worst part of this supplement and that's that tingly feeling that paresthesia that you get from it or well most people get we've talked about that you didn't really get it at yeah. lower doses yeah um but like i definitely do um within a four to six gram dosage definitely that i would experience that um so if that's not something that you want every single day or you don't enjoy that feeling you would have to split that that dosage over the day do you feel like in terms of the dosing of particular like research do you reckon that's a limiting factor and how much yeah. they actually give people like that's probably the biggest limiting factor that is the limiting factor and i i was wondering when i was reading that study where they took 12 grams per day i'm like how did the participants feel and <laughs> like i didn't read into in depth in terms of how the participants felt but like that's the barrier like like imagine you you taking that like based on what you just said it's like you, if you feel bad at alanine if you were to get 12 grams per day you'd have to have four grams four times a day like, yeah, that's a it's a lot of time commitment to a supplement. And yeah. sure, if you're a high-level athlete and you're really banking on this, like it makes sense. Yeah. But for the everyday gym goer, crossfitter, um, I don't know. I think the uh, taking it can almost be too much of a hassle in in just yeah. doing it and just doing it every single day. But if you don't get the paresthesia at those doses and you can take it all in one hit, that's plus. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And like that, I suppose like. Because the alternative to this is like sodium bicarb has a similar kind of, like it's it's based on a similar mechanism, but sodium bicarb is probably yeah. more inconvenient than taking bad alanine. Like, <laughs> but yeah, I, I do agree though in terms of like I I personally would have zero interest in taking something four times per day unless unless it was my career unless I really cared about it or whatever. Yeah. Um, but that's why I find it lucky that like I can have five plus grams in a single sitting and get mild symptoms or whatever. And it's like that could even be a trade off being like maybe you find a level of paresthesia that you're okay with and you yeah. just take that dose a little bit less frequently versus trying to completely avoid it but having to spread it out like it's a very individual dosing kind of strategy i wonder how bad that paresthesia can get or like whether it like it taps out at a certain point and then taking more doesn't contribute to that feel i don't know just something i thought about like i'm like if i yeah. was to take 12 grams in one hit would that kill me or yeah. would it be roughly the same as taking six in terms of how it felt and i suppose that's like that's why why i've shared my experience where i did take that what i assume was around 15 grams in oh, a single right, sitting did, yeah. yeah and like now that i've done that i'm like i do feel mild symptoms at five or six grams or whatever um and the symptoms did get worse and like paresthesia wasn't the only symptom I got. I got nausea when I went 15 grams. So that's something to consider that I don't think it just caps out. I do, but like, I wonder where the line is. Like, I don't know. Like, Surely it's not just like a straight, like surely yeah. it caps out somewhere, but interesting. Um, talking more about the side effects, there is a little bit of talk around taurine depletion being a possible side effect, um, but that actually happening in practice hasn't really been identified. Yeah. Do you know where that actually comes from? I did look into it and there is a mechanism behind it, but like the reason why I'm not overly concerned about it is because there's studies on beta alanine up to six months. That's the longest one I'm aware of. And they just, they just didn't find, and that was a decent dosage of above four grams and they didn't identify that. It's enough for me to be like, no, nah, I'm not going to YOLO and have like <laughs> 10 plus grams every single day for the rest of my life. But like, yeah. And another thing that's just an interesting thing is like, if you ever have energy drinks, like the amount of taurine in an energy drink is... <sighs> it's well over 10 times the amount that you get through food. Oh, and I'd like, be fine then with the amount of yeah. <laughs> And like, I'm not saying that's a bad thing because it like taurine has a lot of applications, like even for like insulin sensitivity and stuff like that, people use taurine as like a therapeutic kind of um, supplement actually. But it is an interesting thing that's like, well, what if beta alanine maybe puts you slightly at risk of that? Like, 
maybe you could have taurine occasionally to offset that but like i don't know that's that's a niche kind of problem to worry about <laughs> going really deep down the rabbit hole there yeah the research hasn't shown that um i guess the other thing touching on is like how how am i coming to the conclusion that studies are significantly underdosing about alanine basically the, the the thing you said about how paresthesia is the limiting factor um that's why they cap it at that kind of four to 6.4 kind of gram style dosage outside of that that random study with like 12 grams but measuring muscle carnosine levels almost every single study has muscle carnosine increasing when the study is ended like we talk about creatine like you do the five-day loading phase or whatever and then you get to the optimal amount of creatine it just doesn't seem to go above that and if you took a standard dosage for 30 days you kind of reach that point anyway with bad alanine like there's studies that like are gone they've, they've gone on for 10 plus weeks and they're still increasing, like the percentage of muscle carnosine is still increasing. So maybe we can get more than that average of 3% improvement in performance. Maybe we could get 4% on average, maybe it's 5%, like that's probably reaching, but it's probably higher than what we're actually seeing in the research. So how can we get around it? One way is maybe the injections. I don't know enough about that to, to yeah, care. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Another way is slow release beta alanine. So I, I was looking at this and like it doesn't seem popular because there's not many studies on it yet. But theoretically, if you have slow release beta alanine, it decreases the paresthesia. Um, there's one, I think it's called Clean Sports or something like that. They sell it in Australia. So it is a thing in Australia. Bulk Nutrients and VPA, they don't. But there is options for this in Australia. Um, that's also something to think about if just taking a normal dosage of beta alanine causes symptoms. But your options could be to get that. And the studies that I have read show that it still increases muscle carnosine at the same extent, if not slightly more. So like, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the direction things head down the line. It's just not as well-researched just yet. Um, another option is to YOLO and just go higher. <laughs> just have, have more. The, the, I say but like the Matt Fraser <laughs> approach where it's just like he embraces the feeling of paresthesia. He likes the feeling and it's kind of like, what if he's having 10 grams or whatever and everyone else is out here having four or whatever because that's what the research shows? Like the the bulk nutrients one that I've got, it says on the back of the package saying something like don't have more than five grams per day. Like that's the warning on it. And as we said, like in the studies, even the studies are going high, but they've just got to protect themselves. They don't they want They like, have to have that yeah. sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Whereas like Matt Fraser's out here just like dry scooping it. Just like <laughs> 10 grams. Oh, I can't imagine. I feel like I'd probably die. But I mean, yeah, that's definitely the limiting thing is the paresthesia, but it would be really cool to see where this research does Yeah, end. Yeah, and I'm actually very interested because the slow release stuff's very interesting to me. And I've heard other people briefly touch on it being like, well, maybe there is potential for like carnosine supplementation, histidine supplementation, and combining these with bad alanine like to get higher. Like I, I can't comment on that enough because I haven't seen research on that because I don't think the research really exists. But like theoretically, what if carnosine is not very well absorbed from supplementation but it's a little bit absorbed maybe you could get like 80 percent of the increase in carnosine in the body that you're going to get from beta alanine and another 10 to 20 percent by adding in carnosine and histidine supplementation on top like that's just speculative i'm just interested in seeing where that goes because it's obviously something that we can do to improve performance that hasn't been fully tapped yet so it's an interesting place to be watching so that has been episode 34 of the Ideal Nutrition Podcast. If you could please leave a rating and review, that would be greatly appreciated. But apart from that, thank you for listening. Thank you.